Today's episode of The Advanced Route is brought to you by GameTime. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think NFL tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with GameTime, the ticket-buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. GameTime is the leader in last-minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download GameTime in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last-minute tickets. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Advanced Route in Week 7 of the NFL season. You know what we do at the Advanced Route. We try to do what we can to bring stats and scouting together to help you out in your fantasy football leagues. I am Michael Beller, joined by my co-host on the Advanced Route, Emery Hunt, the busiest man in football. That's what I'm going to start calling you from now on, Emery. Yeah, man, it's, it's no lie, man, but I'm glad to be on the, on the pod with you once again talking some football. Yeah, it's, uh, we're about the halfway point of the typical fantasy football regular season, so certainly moving time for people in fantasy leagues. 6-0, and 5-1, and one, you're feeling awfully good about yourself. 2-4, and 1-5, and five, you got to start piling up wins soon. We'll hope to help you do that in this episode of the Advanced Route. You can follow Emery on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. You can follow me on Twitter at mbeller. The NBA season one week away, so make sure you are subscribed to the Athletics. You can check out the fantasy basketball draft kit being put together by Brandon Funston and Eric Wong. All your fantasy basketball needs, uh, whether it's season long or DFS covered, in that fantasy basketball draft kit. So make sure you check that out. You can get yourself forty percent off a subscription if you go to theAthletic.com/slash. The advanced route. Uh, now, Emery, you are in New York, so you got to see uh, the New York Jets with their win over the Dallas Cowboys this week. That's one of two teams that I'm trying to buy stock in. I actually started last week. It is them and the Arizona Cardinals. I've been trying to get pieces of both of those offenses wherever and however I can, and that's where I want to focus this episode of the advanced route. Uh, now, even though you saw the Jets last week in person, I want to start with the team I think that it's a little bit more interesting, and in that being the Arizona Cardinals. I think we're starting to see this offense coalesce, starting to see what Kyler Murray, Cliff Kingsbury, this pairing could be. Uh, started out a little bit slowly, but it feels like things are really starting to come together there. What have you seen uh, specifically from Kyler Murray in the last couple of weeks that uh, maybe suggest that this is an offense that's headed in the right direction? Well, I think what you're starting to see is him be a little bit more trusting of his athletic ability you're starting to see him run a little bit more which is great because he is a dual threat player and that's what changes the game and because he's starting to take off and run and pick up first downs and you know run to extend the play and find guys open down the field this offense is starting to have a lot of a lot of success and I know people will quickly say well look who they're playing defensively and you know who who's the defense that they're going up against this is the worst defense blah 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 but the, at, at the end of the day you want to see how individually they execute again this was a team that came back against Detroit should have won that game in overtime had the guy caught the interception so we could be looking at a team that that could easily be 500 right now as opposed to two three and one but I think we're starting to see Kyle Murray get that confidence use his athleticism allow that to be his window into finding guys downfield and you're starting to see this offense start to get into gear as they make a, a nice little run in the middle part of their season 
Yeah, their only games they really struggled in were losses to Carolina and Seattle. Uh, you mentioned the week one game against Detroit, an impressive second half from the, the Cardinals to get the tie after a game that they were trailing by at least two. And I want to say three scores at one point of that game. And then week two in Baltimore, uh, a game where they had to settle for three short field goals in the first half. And if any of those is a touchdown, Emery, maybe we're talking about the Cardinals pulling off an upset in Baltimore and suddenly being a team that's uh, got four wins on the season if those games uh, go their way. So but it's certainly been um, maybe flying underneath the radar a little bit, but now we're starting to see the offense uh, come together. To your point, you talk about Kyler using his legs a little bit more uh, in recent weeks. Uh, in week five, the win against Cincinnati, uh, he had 10 carries for 93 yards and a touchdown. Week six against Atlanta, 11 carries for 32 yards. Uh, that week four game against Seattle, just four carries, but he did get in the end zone. And then that week three game against Carolina, eight carries for 69 yards. So we are starting to see him trust his athleticism a little bit more as we get deeper and deeper into the season. Is there anything uh, about what he's doing through the air? Because we have seen more efficient Kyler Murray uh, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, This past week against Atlanta, 9.2 yards per attempt. The week before that against Cincinnati, 7.9 yards per attempt. Anything you've seen from him as a thrower that uh, gives you confidence in what he's doing right now and what he can do going forward? Well, those numbers make sense to any job or what you see on film because you're starting to see him now have the timing with these receivers because early on in the season they were taking shots, but they were maybe just outside of Larry Fitzgerald, I mean, just over the head of Christian Kirk. But now he's hitting guys in stride and hitting guys deep down the field in stride. So you're starting to see, even if you go back to week four, you start to see his yards per attempt go up each and every week from week four uh, to where we are now, even adjusted yards per attempt go up each and every week exponentially. So he's starting to get that timing down, and they're now starting to connect on some of those deep to or intermediate to deep routes downfield. So this offense, like I said before, is really starting to get into gear. Yeah, uh, his full season-long numbers uh, are 64.3 completion percentage, uh, just shy of 1,700 yards, seven yards per attempt, seven touchdowns, and four picks. But these last three games, that completion percentage up to 68.3, so that's an increase of four percentage points from where his season-long number sits, 834 yards, 8.26 yards per attempt. That is a significant jump over where his season-long number sits, three touchdowns and one interception. So uh, as, we've, as we've been saying, it does, definitely seems like things are headed in the right direction there in, uh, in Arizona. This week, another favorable matchup. I imagine you'll be there, uh, Arizona at the New York Giants. Are you going to be able to see that one in person? I will definitely be there. I'll be there Sunday for that game and Monday night for the Jets game. Oh, beautiful. Guys, that's what we say. The busiest man in football right here. Uh, Coming, taking some time out of the schedule to do the advanced route with us at the Athletics. So uh, what do you what do you need to see from him and this offense in the next couple of weeks? Giants this week at New Orleans the week after San Francisco at home in week nine. What do you need to see from them to, um, you know, maybe turn our theory into something that we can make a fact, turn our hypothesis into fact that things are getting better and things are coming together for this offense as a whole. You want to see the timing match up with the pace that they want to play. They want to play a fast paced game, get a lot of plays in. But if you're getting a lot of plays in, you also have to be efficient because you can go quickly uh, three and out, you know, so you want to have quick plays, explosive plays. And I think that's what they want. So against this Giants uh, defense and subsequent secondary where they're playing some young guys, on each and every level, you want to see if they can connect the two. 
the timing and the pace that they want to play. All right, let's talk about some of the other pieces that are around um, uh, Kyler Murray here. Let's start with the wide receivers. Uh, now, we know Christian Kirk has missed the last two games, but he was his favorite receiver, at least in terms of targets, uh, those first four games. Uh, 12 targets in week one, eight in week two, 12 in week three. Then he hurt his ankle in their fourth game. Still got five targets before he left that one with the ankle injury. Larry Fitzgerald, meanwhile, has eight or more targets in four of his six games. Uh, get some life breathed back into him. 35 catches, 427 yards, and to touchdowns um you talk about the timing of this offense and them starting to hit that timing and uh murray not overthrowing not side throwing guys uh how are the skill sets of these three players and we we should see kirk back in this game against the giants sound like he just missed the game last week against atlanta but how does the skill sets of these two receivers fit with murray and how do you expect that to manifest itself over the second half of the season I think they do a great job of, of meshing well you talk about the the offenses they came out of in college and this is more of the norm of what we're seeing. So they understand the concepts. They understand spacing. They understand how to how to find themselves open. And we know they're tremendous talents and can make plays. That's why you're going to start to see them do a lot more uh, in the passing game. I'm excited about this offense moving forward. How's Cliff Kingsbury adjusting? How would you grade him right now in his uh, uh, adjustment to the NFL and how he's adjusted from what teams were throwing at them early in the season and how they've been able to find a little bit more success over the last couple of weeks? I think he's doing a solid job. He's improving every week situationally, which is key. That's the biggest adjustment you have to make going from the college game to the pro game. And remember, we didn't see a lot of what they wanted to do offensively during the preseason because they were trying to hide a lot of it because it's a new offense, new coaching staff, um, and you want to you didn't want to show too much so early. So the fact that they had to really go into the regular season without building that cohesiveness and that continuity and that timing and we're starting to see it now, tells you that he's also improving as a coach as well. So everything is trending upwards for Arizona. Is there anything specific that you can point to? Is there anything that, you know, when you're watching a game, is there something that pops out that says uh, what uh, something that a coach is doing? I mean, I think it's a little bit easier for, for us regular folk to see what a player might be doing just because of, you know, it's right there in front of us. But is there something that we could see happen on the field that tells you with your X's and O's uh, expertise that, hey, the coaches are, are really starting to figure out how this offense is going to work? Well, sometimes it's about identifying mismatches and key, you know, key moments. And normally you have guys uh, up in the box watching down and they're responsible for identifying but you know you have Kingsbury who's calling plays so he's field level so it's kind of tough at times for coaches to see without that bird's eye view of what's going on and for him to be able to identify matchups and yes they are attacking uh you know ag- aggressively those individual matchups you're like okay he's he's seeing it uh like he saw it at Texas Tech all right, how about David Johnson? Uh, on the ground, uh, things, at least just pure bottom line, uh, have not necessarily been great for him. They've been fine. A couple of touchdowns booing his performance, 76 carries for 298 yards. But he's been uh, one of the most effective pass-catching backs in the league. I think that was to be expected, uh, knowing what this offense was going to want to do. He's got 41 targets already on the season. He's caught 30 of them for 315 yards and three touchdowns. So we're talking 315 yards uh, through six games games 
uh, what you, you 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 double that to get to twelve games and six hundred thirty yards, uh, and then you uh, add on another what uh, three quarters is my math right there or something like that? Uh, no, two thirds, two thirds of that. So another two hundred yards. So he's on pace for uh, around eight hundred receiving yards, uh, about seven receiving touchdowns. As uh, a two part question, I got for you here: A, how are they getting such great use out of him in the receiving game? And B, do they even want design wise to get more out of him as a runner? Listen, I've been on record for saying this. He is a better H-back than he is a tailback. He plays running back like a receiver trying to play running back. Their best tailback is Chase Edmonds. And if they flip the amount of carries that Edmonds get, juxtaposed with David Johnson and allow Johnson to be more of that H-back type where you're going to give him some carries here, but you're going to utilize his skills as a receiver, as a route runner in the passing game, they could really have much more success than they're having now. He just doesn't have the the natural running back feel for it because he was a receiver at Northern Iowa and also then played running back. And you still see that receiver in him when how he's reading holes and how he's trying to make lateral moves. He just doesn't have a good feel for the running game. Edmonds has a great feel for the running game. He runs with balance. He has good vision, good agility, and he also can catch the ball out of the backfield. And I think because of Johnson's ability as a receiver, why not, you know, uh, accentuate that more by having him run more routes and be more of a receiving back as opposed to not allowing Edmonds to be on the field as a runner. You can have both on the field at the same time and get exactly what you want. It makes you even even more dangerous by putting both of your talents on the field. Now you're still good versus the run, even better versus the pass. I think they're using David Johnson wrong, and they're also using Edmonds wrong. And I think it's limiting what they could potentially be doing in a running game. So, so how would you use David Johnson then? Are you, are we talking more routes where he's lined up as a traditional receiver? Are you talking more two back sets where both of these guys are in the backfield together, a combination of the two? Do you just think it, it, you, that we need to see more of him purely as a wide receiver rather than as a running back? No, you want to have both in the backfield at the same time. You figure yeah. this offense primarily operates out the gun anyway, so mm-hmm. you still could have both backs and be equal to both sides. You want to run uh, off tackle with Johnson with Edmonds leading the way, or if you want to run Edmonds off tackle with Johnson leading the way, you're still good there either way in the running game where you have an advantage that both backs are great receiving threats out of the backfield. Johnson may be a little bit more because of his experience as a receiver more so than Edmonds. So having both on a field, you don't lose anything. Uh, you gain actually more ability to run the football more so than you do – putting Johnson out wide and and having him be a full-time receiver. You don't want to lose that advantage of having him uh, be a threat in the run game as well. You just don't want to completely move him to receiver, thus taking away his advantage. We talked about this before with Duke Johnson, and you know you want to keep him in the backfield because that's where he has the advantage. Having him as more of a running back will have him draw linebackers in coverage. You make the move to receiver, you're going to draw corners and safeties, and he's not apt to, you know, or savvy enough to to run routes against guys that have been covering routes their entire football career. So keeping both in the backfield at the same time keeps you balanced and actually adds a little bit more uh, playmaking ability to your offense. Well, we've definitely seen more of Chase Edmonds over the last few weeks. Now, part of that has been due to a back issue uh, that David Johnson has been dealing with. Cropped up in week five. He was fine last week, but I th- would have bet that Part of what we saw from Chase Edmonds usage-wise had a little something to do with maybe taking it kind of easy 
on uh, on David Johnson, but he has been productive, as you've said. I mean, when they've given him an opportunity, he has come through for them. Here are the numbers. Last week, five carries for 34 yards, caught both of his targets for 33 yards and a touchdown. His last two games combined, 13 carries for 102 yards, one score on the ground, five catches, 51 yards, and the touchdown he had last week as a receiver or as a pass catcher against Atlanta. And then you go back to week four, six carries in that game for 37 yards. So uh, it's, they've certainly been trying to get him more involved. And, and I, I feel like, you know, I've got this question I want to ask you, but I feel like based on what you've said, I can already tell where you're going to go. This is something that's going to stick around for real, right? I mean, in fantasy, we talk about two backs in the same backfield and both of them having standalone value. Chase Edmonds has standalone value, correct? This isn't a situation where he needs an injury to David Johnson to matter in fantasy leagues. It feels like with this offense uh, running at such a pace and getting into a groove that Chase Edmonds is going to have plenty of value in fantasy leagues with or without David Johnson next to him. Absolutely. Uh, And you laid it out perfectly. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. First of all, um, I feel uh, if uh, if you're agreeing with uh, the way I'm laying things out, then I feel like I'm I'm onto something. Um, to me, this one feels a little bit like what we saw out of Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler last year. The way that Austin Eckler was able to carve out a meaningful enough role, where even though we knew week in week out Melvin Gordon was the number one running back, that there was enough work in this backfield for Austin Eckler to be a fantasy back. I get the same sort of vibes, even if they're not necessarily the same players from David Johnson and Chase Edmonds. Is there any sort of comp there, whether it is, you know, player type or usage that you're seeing out of this backfield that tells you that these two guys can coexist with one another like that? I think that example is a great example, except in this case, Edmonds would be Gordon and Johnson would be Eckler. I think both can eat. It's just about using both wisely and right now I think people like the idea of David Johnson but he's more Austin Eckler than he is Melvin Gordon all right so I mean this this uh we started off saying that this was an offense that you're going to want to buy stock in um are you on that page as well do you think that we're only going to see maybe not just up 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 but you know two steps forward one step back three steps forward one step back but generally this is an ascending offense for the rest of the season yep all right, man. Well, I hope we're right because I invested a lot in them before the season and I could certainly use that starting to come through. Uh, and again, uh, this uh, whether it's Kyler, uh, uh, Christian Kirk, Larry Fitzgerald, David Johnson might be hard to trade for realistically. Chase Edmonds, though, I think you want to try to get yourself a piece of this Arizona offense. How about the Jets? Uh, this is another team that uh, was very interesting to me going into week six because, you know, realistically, we hadn't really seen the Jets offense as constructed uh, at all this season. Uh, Sam Darnold obviously already had mono in week one. Then they lose Trevor Simeon right off the bat in week two, and they go to Luke Falk. So essentially, before their week six win over Dallas, they were playing with a quarterback who had mono or their third string quarterback for the entire season. Then Darnold gets back in the game against Dallas, and the offense starts to click. Um, it wasn't uh, it wasn't completely pretty. There were some some rough patches in that game against Dallas, but easily the best offensive performance we've seen from the Jets this season. You were there in person. You've seen this team in person quite a bit going back to training camp. How much different did the offense look with Darnold on the field? It looked completely different. They were able to actually complete passes, which is something they, <laughs> they struggled to do. Very important. Uh, struggled to do that with all the quarterbacks that they had. Even when they threw Trevor Simeon out there, he just looked awful. Um, and then he got himself hurt. And then Falk came in, looked better than Simeon. But then over an extended period of time, Falk was just as awful as Simeon. So getting Darnold back just clearly shows 
how much better he is than everyone else on the roster. And their offense starts to move the football a lot more. Um, the yards look great, 338. One big 92-yard pass will help that. But he was also able to use his footwork to, you know, buy him some time and find other guys down the field and, and move the sticks and keep the offense on the field. So he did a really good job uh, against the Dallas Cowboys, considering how good their defense is. That's something we talk about a lot in the fantasy world that sort of goes overlooked until you mention it, and then it sort of becomes obvious. Um, the, the 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 way that good quarterbacks convert third downs and just how important that is for the rest of the players on the offense, just getting more opportunities, moving the ball down the field, getting into scoring position, and taking advantage of those opportunities. We saw that from Darnold uh, against the Cowboys. How dangerous do you think this offense can be? Because there's a lot of skill position talent on this team, right? I mean, you saw it unlock with Darnold suddenly you've got this deep threat in Robbie Anderson. You've got this guy who is such a great Swiss Army knife in the middle of the field in Jamison Crowder. Le'Veon Bell's track record speaks for itself. Eventually, they'll get Chris Herndon back from his hamstring injury. How dangerous can a fully formed Jets offense be right away this season? I wouldn't say dangerous like they're about to be the 99 Rams, but I I think they'll be productive. Um, What I was most impressed with last week was Demarius Thomas. You know, he was a forgotten man and he quietly had a really good game and uh, was able to reco- rec- uh, recover that fumble, not refumble, that uh, onside kick at the end to seal the game. But Jameson Crowder, to me, I wrote about this in on The Athletic in the preseason after watching two practices. He's going to be Darnold's favorite target because he's always open. He's a slot guy. He's a glue guy. He's an open guy. And he's going to get a lot of catches. He right now leads in targets with 40. And Anderson is your best ball guy. He's this team's version of Ted Ginn, this team's version of Will Fuller. So when you have a guy like that, that can take the top off of the defense, um, you know, you you don't know week to week if you're going to get the same production. But if you have him in a best ball league, you're you're in a good position there because he's a good receiver. But Crowder, uh, Thomas, I'm interested to see how he steps up. They have to find a way to get the ground game going. That hasn't been the case with Le'Veon Bell, but as an outlet guy, he's been excellent. Just getting targets, not really yards, but um, I'm interested to see how Thomas grows within his role this season. You mentioned uh, the 40 targets for Jamison Crowder. For That's for the season. 26 of those. 26 are in the two games that Sam Darnold has started. Uh, so 13 targets per game with Sam Darnold on the field. He's caught 20 of those for 197 yards. And Emery, you weren't kidding. I, I watched a lot of that game um, between the Cowboys and the Jets uh, because I was heavily invested on the Jets side of things. So that worked out well. Um, but uh, when you say that he he's always open in that game, he was open always open six catches for 98 yards and on all six of those catches I don't think there was a Cowboys defender within three or four yards of him yeah it's just amazing to see how consistent he is in getting open it's just he's just one of the better receivers out there man yeah, it certainly doesn't seem to uh, get the uh, get the attention for it. Obviously, he's not a guy making these big splash plays. He didn't have the 92-yard reception that everyone remembers from Robbie Anderson, but the dude just moves the chains for this Jets team. He did it in Washington before that. Now he's doing it for the Jets. Let's talk about Le'Veon Bell. You mentioned that uh, they really haven't been able to get the ground game going. Now, these are numbers just in the two Darnold games, 31 carries for 110 yards for Bell. Uh, he did find the end zone once 
on the ground. Uh, he has seven tar- or seven catches on 10 targets for 35 yards and a touchdown through the air as well. How do they start to get more out of him? Because, you know, Le'Veon Bell is still, I mean, he's, he's what, 27, 28? I mean, I know he's got a lot of mileage on him from those years in Pittsburgh, but this is a guy who's still got plenty, I think, of good football ahead of him. So how do you start to get him more involved and more up to the numbers that we're used to seeing from him uh, in this offense for the rest of the year? I think it's going to happen organically because teams now have to, um, you know, worry about the passing game. When you have a Trevor Simeon, a Luke Falk back there, there's no threat to throw the football. So teams can really get aggressive in their run fits and how they plan to stop the run. They even put a lot of pressure on Adam Gates to, we know you don't want to throw the football. We know you don't trust these quarterbacks. We dare you to throw the football. And he was trying to run the football with Lev Bell, and it was not working. So now with the threat of Sam Darnold back there, completing those passes deep down the field, intermediately down the field, um, you're going to start to see things open up a little bit. That pressure is going to alleviate a little bit in the box, and Bell is going to have a little bit more running room, and his production will go up as a result. Le'Veon Bell was drafted as a you know, late first, early second round pick. Obviously, hasn't played to that uh, that in the level. Not his fault at all. Not even close to his fault. Pretty much, that's going to happen to everyone when their uh, starting quarterback goes down, and you're dealing with a third stringer uh, on the field. But uh, now that he does have Darnold back, do you think it's right back there, full system go? We're talking about a top twenty or top ten, excuse me, uh, running back for the rest of the season. I believe so. I think it's just going to, you know, come with time. Because, again, Darnold, this was his first game back. Um, even against the Buffalo Bills, he had the, what, touchdown reception. But um, I think the more Darnold plays, the better Lev Bell is going to be. And we're going to see a guy probably start to go on a run, a productive run, toward the back end of the schedule. Because as long as Darnold doesn't catch mono or typhoon <laughs> fever or whatever the other diseases out there, you know. Uh, so as long as he is there under center, is going to help out Lev Bell and his progress. Yeah, the uh, Jets right now, uh, at least uh, from a from an adjusted fantasy points um, perspective. So we're taking uh, fantasy points allowed by defenses and adjusting it for the competition they've played. Right, obviously, if you allow uh, twenty five points per game to. Uh, Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara, that's a lot different than allowing uh, 25 points per game to you know, David Montgomery. Uh, so uh, you adjust that for uh, uh, for schedule and we adjust it for the opponents they've played. And the Jets right now going forward have the sixth easiest schedule against running backs. So uh, we could see a big bonanza out of Le'Veon Bell. Uh, Sam Darnold here in his second year uh, in the league uh, did start to have some, some good games toward the end of last season. We saw him pop up for a couple of big games, but obviously that Jets team uh, was a mess top to bottom. They bring in a whole new coaching staff this year. Uh, they add Jamison Crowder. They add Le'Veon Bell. How will we know that Sam Darnold is taking that next step over the back half of the season? What are you going to be looking for to say, yeah, this guy can be a franchise quarterback? Stay away from the turnovers. I think people, you know, again, no one is saying he can't play ball. He has good ability. But even in the game last week, he threw an interception that was ill-advised. You know, just kind of fired it in there. Yeah, some could say Crowder wasn't looking, but we don't know who was running the wrong route, who was in the wrong there. We don't know. Um, But we do know the ball got intercepted. And there was another interception that was dropped uh, by the Cowboys. Darnold has to protect the football. In the first game, he had a fumble, even though um, he was able to, uh, you know, he fumbled that ball, he lost that one. And then this game, he throws interception. 
his rookie year, 15 picks. He also had a couple of fumbles as well. So at the end of the day, ball security, if he can protect the ball, then he'll he'll take those steps to grow um, as, as a passer. And we know it's a brutal matchup for him. Uh, as you said, you'll be at this one as well. Monday Night Football, Jets hosting the Patriots. How about this game individually? What do you want to see from him uh, in this game against what has been to this point of the season uh, the best pass defense, the best overall defense in the league? Use his legs to his advantage. He's another good athlete. Reminds me a lot of Tony Romo in that regard. The Patriots will try to sit back and play coverage. Darnold has the ability to pick up yards in chunks. Um, you know, maybe not 30 to 40 yards, but he can pick up 8, 10, 12 yards right there. That'll force him to maybe keep one guy in to spy him or maybe try to send a little extra pressure. And if that's the case, he's going to have to be able to beat the blitz without panicking. At times he can panic. His feet get all out of whack and his mechanics gets off, uh, get all get all out of whack as well. Um, so if he can maintain calm under pressure, but also be a dual threat athlete that he is, I think he could have success against his Patriots defense. Am I crazy for thinking the Jets might be able to spring an upset in this one? You're definitely crazy because <laughs> when you look at the Jets still, they you look at their playmakers. They don't have a tight end to threaten the middle of the field. They don't have a true number one that you fear. They have some good solid number twos and number threes. So they're limited. What can beat a team like New England? And we saw the Giants give them a game. Your defense has to be excellent. Their defense will be game. I think the Jets' defense will try to give them a chance. But your offense has to be efficient, and it has to execute inside the red zone. When you get those opportunities inside the red zone, you have to come away with points. I don't care if it's three or seven. Points add up. So don't you know, leave without points inside the red zone, and your defense has to give you a chance. So there are some seeds here. Um, I think they're probably in a, a better situation from a skill player-wise than the Giants were. When they played New England, the only issue is that the Giants have a better offensive line than the Jets, and that could be a problem in this game for New York. All right. Now, obviously, um, we're not we're not buying the Jets to the level that we're buying Arizona. I, I think that's true. I just don't think that there's quite the firepower there, at least from a fantasy perspective. But we started the show out, or at least I started the show out, saying, I'm trying to buy Cardinals. I'm trying to buy Jets. You agree with me on the Cardinals? Are you with me on the Jets? Is this a, is a team we should be buying in the second half? Buying at a discount, but not buying like you would be buying the Cardinals. Okay, put it that way. Okay, I think that's a fair way to put it. It's uh, there's just more. There's more questions about this team, and they certain don't... players you could buy. You could, I mean, you should already own Crowder, right? And you should trust a guy like Lev Bell will turn it around. The guy you maybe could buy is probably Herndon, but how unfortunate was him to be on suspension and get prepared to play against the Cowboys, only to pull his hamstring. And now you have to wonder about that. So that may be the one guy, or maybe even Demarius Thomas is another guy that you could probably buy from this offense. Yeah, how does Demarius Thomas work into the offense? I mean, is there enough – If there is this like a Herndon or Demarius situation, or is there room for both of them if and when Herndon's able to come back? I think Demarius can play the role of Quincy Anuma. He's a big-body guy that can play inside, can play outside. He's got sure hands. Um, he could be another safety valve in the same sense of a Jameson Crowder so. I think he definitely has a role uh, in his offense. Um, all right, Emery. Well, you know, that, that that's actually going to uh, to do it for us here. I think, uh, you know, the Cardinals and the Jets, two very interesting teams, two teams I think that are headed clearly in the right direction. And that Cardinals offense, man, 
this is going to be a fun one. Obviously, they're not really competing this year, playing in a pretty tough NFC West, but I think next year could be the year that we're talking about them uh, as a chic playoff team, a dangerous team, a team that could really start to make some noise. So I'll be very interested to watch them over the second half of the season. Uh, We hope that uh, this has been interesting for you as well, this episode of the Advanced Route, as we get ready for week seven of the NFL season. You can follow Emery again on Twitter at FBallGamePlan, and you can follow me on Twitter at MBeller. Thank you again for listening to us. we got plenty more podcasts coming your way the rest of the week here at The Athletic. Until we meet again, have a great rest of your evening, no matter when you're listening to this. This has been the Advanced Route on The Athletic. 